Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, September 18th, 2023. And as always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Janie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. And if you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively use these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on the phone. Otherwise, if you're listening through the archives, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. 
and or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. If you do that, we'll address your comment or question on the Internet show and then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. And we're grateful to anybody who's who does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. And the intention we have with this work is to be a service. And it's far easier to do when we know exactly how these things are landing for you and what you're struggling with and what you're having success with. All of those comments, questions, answers, and even refutations are welcome. So let us know what's on your mind. Today is a Monday. We've had a full weekend, a busy weekend. And over the weekend I had occasion to find a a, um, a, a little bit of a writing that was... Uh, recommended by Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell, for those who doesn't know, who don't know, is um, no longer in the body, but he was a very bright uh, anthropologist, philosopher, teacher, and he did a whole series of, um, I guess they were, you know, made-for-TV documentaries and wrote books on myth and mythology across the ages and across the globe. And one of the things that we've been working on, and we hear it when we listen to Michael Singer, we hear it when we listen to Diedrich Wolzak. We hear it in the messages of the way of mastery and A Course in Miracles is life is unfolding and it's all okay. Unless we decide it's not and then when we decide it's not then we create our suffering. We, we create an increase of the pain if it's a physical situation and we create all of our mental emotional suffering by trying to pretend that what's true isn't true or shouldn't be true or trying to pretend that what's false will one day be true so joseph campbell did this piece of writing where he said nietzsche who was um a philosopher, a wordsmith, and a philosopher who died in, I guess, 1900. Born in 1840-something. He only lived to be about 50 years old, 54 years old. But he's a brilliant mind, and at a very young age, he became a, a world-renowned professor. And So Nietzsche, this is what Joseph Campbell said. 
Nietzsche was the one who did the job for me. At a certain moment in Nietzsche's life, the idea came to him of what he called, quote, the love of your fate, close quotes. Whatever your fate is, whatever the hell happens, you say, quote, this is what I need, close quotes. It may look like a wreck, but go at it as though it were an opportunity and a challenge. If you bring love to that moment, not discouragement, then you will find the strength that is there. Any disaster you can survive is an improvement in your character, your stature, and your life. What a privilege. This is when the spontaneity of your own nature will have a chance to flow. Then when looking back at your life, you will see the moments which seem to be great failures followed by wreckage. These were really the incidents that shaped the life you have now. You'll see that this is really true. Nothing can happen to you that is not positive. Even though it looks and feels at the moment like a negative crisis, it is not. The crisis throws you back, and when you are required to exhibit strength, it comes. That's a writing by Joseph Campbell from the book Reflections on the Art of Living. And it is so in line with what we've been listening to with Michael Singer and the idea that when life happens, when events happen, and you find yourself resisting or getting tight or getting tense or getting angry or getting depressed, he says, soften and allow, relax into those moments. It's the same message to my eye and ear. And most of us don't do that very well, primarily because it hasn't been modeled for us, primarily because we haven't been taught how to do that. It isn't that we don't do it because we can't, because everything that we do, basically, We've learned to do. We've been taught to do. You know, even our thinking has been taught to us through the acquisition of language and that structure and and the beliefs of our parents or whoever raised us so that we end up thinking sometimes in reaction against what our parents thought and taught us but that's still shaped by what our parents were and what they taught us. So we end up thinking and feeling and experiencing life because of what's been conditioned into us. So it's entirely possible that if you were to 
take a child and help him or her understand that everything in life as it's unfolding is just a neutral event until we label it. And when we label it, we create our experience of it, and that's that, that's a full stop. We create our experience of it. We have mastery says it in the very first axiom. You don't experience anything that it wasn't of your own choosing, and that's at this level because when I choose an interpretation about life as it unfolds, I may not be in charge of the way life is unfolding at any given moment, and yet I do have the option to choose how I'm going to interpret and respond to that event. So the power of waking up and recognizing that when I choose a negative interpretation of a life event, that literally creates my experience of that life event is is one of the most important things I can wake up and realize. This is life. It's happening right now. And if I label it bad or wrong, then I get that experience. This is bad. This is wrong. Life sucks. This is horrible. And if I label it a challenge, interesting, I wonder how I can turn this into a blessing for myself and others. I wonder, you know, what's the most expedient way to learn from this event, I get a different result. And it just fascinates me thinking, I was thinking quite a bit over the weekend about how of all these different people that I've worked with in all these years of doing therapy, how interesting it is when I come across somebody who stays positive, who looks for the positive, the positive interpretation of whatever unfolds. And those people who I've come across for you know decades now in my work and personally in my life, who can turn a wonderful sunny day and a picnic and perfect weather and great food and, you know, generally speaking, good companions and find an endless series of things to complain about. And what was striking me, you know, through the the weekend was that's what they've been conditioned into that. I suppose that there's a possibility that there are some that people are just born with that negativity kind of naturally as a filter in their minds. But I think a lot more of it comes from what's been conditioned in, trained, taught, 
role model, etc. And I know there will be people that will just bristle at the thought of this. But if you if you look at Nietzsche and his life, um, it doesn't take much to understand this isn't a person who just breathed through life. You know, Frederick Nietzsche was born in uh, 1844. And um, he had to resign due to health problems from his um, chair of the classical philology department at the University of Basel. Um, He was the youngest professor ever named to that seat at 24 years of age. But he had health problems. So, you know, after about 10 years... Uh, at 34 he had such health problems he had to resign and uh, at 44 he suffered a collapse and afterward a complete loss of his mental faculties with paralysis and vascular dementia etc this was not an easy life but he had a brilliant mind and he asked and he read and he listened to people who also had brilliant minds and he came to the realization at a certain moment in his life the idea that quote the love of your fate close quotes whatever your fate is whatever the hell happens you simply say quote this is what I need close quotes it may look like a wreck but if it's happening how much more beneficial to say, okay, this is what I need, what are the resources I have to deal with this, how can I be a blessing to myself or others, what's the best thing I can do in this moment, how much better, simply in terms of conserving my energy, will I get along than if I say, this is bad, this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening. It may look like a wreck, But if you go at it as though it were an opportunity and a challenge, you change the game. You change the energy you can bring to it. You change the options you're going to see. And if you bring love to that moment rather than discouragement, you'll find the strength is there to get through it. Any disaster you can survive is an improvement in your character, your stature, and your life. Why not look at it as a privilege that I get to experience this? This is when the spontaneity of your own nature will have a chance to flow. And then looking back at your life, you'll see that the moments which seem to be great failures followed by wreckage were the incidents that set you up and shaped life for you to unfold in some of the best things in your life today. You will see that this is really true. Nothing can happen to you that is not positive or okay. Even though it looks and feels at the moment like a negative crisis, it is not. 
This throws you back, and when you are required to exhibit strength, it just comes. The strength comes. And there are many people that say to me on a regular basis, I can't handle this. I am not strong enough. I I don't know how I'm going to get through this. The suggestion here from Joseph Campbell is just meet it. Let yourself get thrown back and off balance and approach it as though it's a blessing. And watch the strength arrive that you never knew you had. an effort to turn on the microphone for area code 610. Hi, Dr. Tim. Sue here. Hello, Susan. Boy, oh boy. This is good, good stuff. And it hitches in with a question that I've had. In a way, what Joseph Campbell is saying is he's inviting us to have the mind of Christ or to be like a Christ. I suppose I know I'm jumping some jumping over some middle points, probably, but I've been puzzling about this meditation that the way of mastery suggested, sitting for five minutes as though you were Christ, and it's got to the point where I say, "I don't know what Christ is." I thought I knew, but in a way, you're talking all around what the mind of Christ would be, kind of as if it's never existed before. This is the first time it's had any thought. Everything comes fresh without a past, so that there's no judgment. Exactly. And um, and then you're left. Yeah wide open to deal with whatever is happening. Yeah. But but you're not really dealing with whatever is happening when you're busy complaining that it shouldn't be. <laughs> I've been doing be- a lot because, of that lately. Right, but because <laughs> in that moment what's happening is you're not relating to what's actually happening. You're relating to the fantasy in your head about what you think it should be instead or what it's going to turn into if I don't do something about it. I mean, there's so much garbage going on. I have a situation in the house with Michael who has suddenly, our Michael, who has suddenly gotten a bad back so that he is really sort of not able to do much of anything. He he just bought himself another brace. He wears these back braces. There was an injury at some point. And, of course, my mind's going berserk. I'm thinking, oh, now we have an England on our hands. Uh, we're suddenly taking care of another child, uh, somebody who is helpless, without motivation, and I'm ready to strangle him, as I have said before. I know I get into that mindset. And here you are talking about what you're talking about. It's like, did I turn on this radio show by accident or anything, or what is happening? It's so perfect, and yet I'm so. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's this is just the truth of the mess. I, I feel like a human wreck, wreck 
I know Guy Finley used that, and I appreciate that so much. He said, I am a wreck. And I think, well, here we are. There's so much that we've learned. We have such good tools. And the tools, what they do is give me enough of a margin so that I don't just get nasty to people. I look at it, I watch it, and meanwhile there's the social too, who's, you know, I took Michael to Costco today because we have the refugees tomorrow and we always stock up on food for them, and he needs food, so, but he can't carry it. And part of me is thinking now, because you read that, this is all good, this is all an opportunity, this is stay open, keep breathing, allow look at this, what are we going to learn from this? But boy, that hasn't been my attitude at all. It's been a snarky, you know, small-minded old bitch, really. So how does it feel inside you to shift from snarky to this opportunity perspective? I haven't shifted. I have not shifted. I'm just hearing what you're reading, and I'm agreeing well, with it well, and well, how ideal well, so, that would be. So, so try the shift right now. Just try it on. You know, well, if that, I don't want that, to. Then don't. All right. Yeah. But, but if, if, okay. if you want to just try it on to. as a little thought experiment, you know, here's this, uh, okay. this thing that Michael Rice says in his book. You, know, you might have heard of this book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? <laughs> and he has this guy Richard he's having this conversation with. Mm-hmm. And Richard is uh and going on and on about he's upset because his sister got treated better than he did and and Michael says, "Well, so, you know, um do you love your sister?" "Oh, yes, I love my sister very much." <clears throat> he says, "Okay, so now here's the situation you're talking about and he specifically remembered something uh I may be making this up, but something about, you know, the his sister getting this perfect gift, this bike for Christmas or whatever, and um, mm-hmm. and Richard being uh, left out or something. And then so Michael Rice says, okay, well, why don't you shift that perspective and, and just think, here's this person, my sister who I love, and how do I feel that she got exactly what she wanted? Doesn't, and she feels great about that. Doesn't that make me feel good? And just, he just shifted the perspective instead of focusing on the parents that Richard thought were, you know, slighting him or whatever. If he just focused on his sister and her getting something, he had a different experience. Just shift the lens and see what happens. Whenever you're, you want to, you don't have to do it now. But that's what the invitation well, I, with this kind yeah. of work. Right. I would love to do it now. I would love to do it now and be released from being this person that I don't want to be. And yet, I've been listening. Have you heard of Jordan Peterson? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to be. You you got to be careful with Jordan. Because Jordan, I know you do. Well, because Jordan, Jordan's you know, Jordan's into making a name for himself, and Jordan's into having a lot of followers and, and making money and stuff like that. It, 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 as soon as you said that, it, I flashed off. You're going in and out all of a sudden, Dr. Tim. Are you there? I can't hear you. 
Yeah, okay. I'm here, and you you seem to be there again, but you started going up, oh, oh, getting these little blips of okay. sound. Well, let me know if that happens so, again, and I'll call in. Am, am I solid okay. still? Yep. <clears throat> well, I flashed on this th- on this thought that as soon as you said Jordan Peterson, um, there was a point in my career where I had a whole boatload of patients who were regulars who um, would say to me, oh, my gosh, I'm so lucky. I feel like I've got my own Dr. Phil, my own personal (laughs) Dr. Phil, because, you know, they liked the uh, comments and advice, and I, you know, had the same hairstylist, et cetera. And so um, to a person... Everyone who said that to me came back later and said, oh, my God, am I glad you're not Dr. Phil. Oh, yeah. Because it changes when you're you're trying to maintain uh, an image and you're trying to, you know, say the things that will keep you in the news (laughs) and that will be cutting edge. So that, that's my only, you know, my only caveat with that is just, uh, you know, don't follow a person. Work with thoughts and ideas and tools. It's not I about agree the with that, and I know, yeah, and I, I wasn't even aware that he's trying to make a name for himself, and I, I want I'm, I'm, I'm not that far along in having listened to him. There are things that I don't agree with. I won't go into what they are, but one thing that I heartily agree with is the full spectrum of light and darkness that exists in each of us because I know myself and I know that's true for me. So I appreciated his saying that. Um, But, you know, in saying that and acknowledging the dark side, I feel as if I've sort of invited it out in a way that isn't too healthy. Uh, in, yeah. All right, Dr. Sam. Who, what are you who let the on? dogs out, right? Who let the dogs out? <laughs> I think I let my dogs right. out. Okay, well, yeah, <laughs> get them back in the kennel. No, my dogs are there. That's... Definitely there, but it felt it felt like a worthy thing for him to say that they are there. <clears throat> you know, when we're told to, like, I've been practicing as best I can, sometimes very badly, the gentle art of blessing. Sometimes I'm doing it mechanically. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I do it and I feel my heart open. That's great. But... Where am I going with this? Oh, when you're practicing that, for me, there's a danger of seeing myself as an especially good person, a loving person, a kind person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to keep track of the dogs. I don't want to just pretend they're not there. I'd love it if they wouldn't be there, but they're there. And these latest things with Michael have just invited them out. And... Well, I have invited Jordan, them out. Jordan Peterson is not the first 
person by any means, and Carl Jung is not the first person by any means to talk about the you know who let the dogs out and the negative side of us and you know in the Jungian mm-hmm. psychology it's called the shadow, and there's all yeah. kinds of people who've done shadow work. It the the fact of the matter is we don't do ourselves any favors when we try to ignore some part of ourselves or our thoughts. Mm. Right. We also don't do ourselves any favors when we try to think or, or we take on the perspective that says, oh, well, I can't help it, it's just the way I am, or that's just my thoughts, or I, I'm just a negative person. We're not doing ourselves any favors when we play little in that sense. Because yeah, I understand. All of these great teachings and, and these very, very practical teachings, as Guy Finley would point out to us, all of them understand we're not just the conscious logical mind. Right? We're not just right. the thoughts we have about ourselves. We've got all kinds of potential and it isn't just sweetness and life, but light, but it is um it, it expands exponentially when we stay awake and aware in the moment rather than mm-hmm. living by some kind of a belief or some programmed set of expectations. And who knows how how loving and how wonderful and how expansive things can be. I don't know. But I know I won't get to that loving by just imagining Images of light, as Jung said, I've got to acknowledge the darkness and bring mm-hmm. light to it, bring the light of awareness to it. Didn't Jung say we're like a tree, the roots of which go all the way to hell? <laughs> and the branches... Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, okay, well... You know, and, you and, talked and the, about and, and the thing the thing about it is though, let me just say before you move on, the thing about it is, and, and Way of Mastery says this in, in lesson four, it, 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 when you practice and you realize you've got these desires and some of them may be dark, the value is you also recognize you don't have to give in to them. Oh yeah. There is a, there is a you, there is an essence, there is an awareness that can observe and choose. Right, and that is a very close cousin to denial. Saying, I, <laughs> you know? I don't think it has to be, no. No, I don't, I don't think that, <laughs> that choosing, right, to, be, to, to understand that I'm feeling this rage, this, like, I, I, I have a lot of people that I've mentioned right now. I've got people in my caseload that are dealing with, really, really heavy things, lots of demands on their time. They're running on fumes, they're little sleep at night, all kinds of people demanding their time and energy during the day, and and they're getting Mm short-tempered. And they're not always sweetness and light. And they'd like to be more sweet, but they rage. Mm -hmm. And that Mm. just happens because there's not enough energy left when, you know, you're running on very little food, very little sleep, lots of anxiety, grief. You're trying to function despite the grief of, 
you know, imminent loss. And so, you know, if you're set up beautifully and somebody's you're at one of those those uh, spas and people are making your meals and you go to Pilates classes and yoga whenever you feel like it, that's easy to be nice. But when you're mm-hmm. up against it and you're not sleeping and people are demanding things from you and you're exhausted, it's almost impossible mm-hmm. to stay nice the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not denial to just say, okay, I recognize that I'm being crabby and I'm not going to beat myself up over it. I'm going to try to be more loving or respectful. But I'm also going to recognize, you know what? It, there's a lot going on here. I'm not going to beat mm-hmm. myself up with adding negative thoughts on top of the awareness that I'm being less than totally positive. Mm-hmm. Well, you have mentioned the importance of telling the truth. And somehow that I'm just have been thinking about how liberating it has been for me to tell the truth about something I couldn't even say for three weeks or a month. And having said it, there's a kind of rebalance. It's like alchemical even, just a a return to normalcy. But telling this kind of truth, it, it, something's different about it. I don't like it. <laughs> what, what, telling, telling what kind of truth? What are you referring to? You mean telling truth about the dark feelings you're having inside yourself? That's a kind of telling the truth, and that doesn't feel good at all. Right. Well, but it's, it's you anyway, know the, the the way these things work in this reality that we're existing in, in this actuality we're existing in, the way it works is, if I'm going to have any ability to change something, I have to be willing to meet it as it is where it is. I can't mm-hmm. be in denial and then effectively change anything. Mm. Right, that's true. Well, I don't know where to go with this. Anyway, carry on. This is such a good reading. Joseph Campbell was taught at my school when I was there. Sarah Lawrence. So, Did you have him in a class or as yeah. a professor? Mm-hmm. What, was, yeah. what was the class? I forget the name of it. World Religions or something. Uh, I don't remember. Did you ever watch his um, public television specials on the masks of God and the myths? And Yes. Yes, I did. And you know, I don't remember them. I remember just thinking they were fantastic at the time. They're probably still around. <clears throat> well, and... and I don't know that they've all been turned into books, but several of them were were turned into books, so you could buy the book mm. and read it. Mm. And then he did the specials with Bill Moyer. Right. 
Nebadoši. But that was a, you know, that was one of the the big wide openings for me in uh in my early college years, the idea that all of these things that different religions hold as these absolute truths mm. were basically um handed down across many, many generations and cultures as themes of, you might call them archetypes, you might call them Mm. um, patterns of thought, fables, stories. I mean, it just, it was, it it blew my mind. Wide open. Yeah. Having been raised Mm in studying nothing but Catholicism. Right. Yeah. When Tim Bingham and I studied Eastern religions, the thing that blew our minds was similar. Ramakrishna said, and maybe it's said throughout Hinduism, truth is one, sages call it by many names. And suddenly we were just set free by that. Absolutely. Well, I would encourage you to just play with this thought of all right let me just throw this filter on what's happening instead of you know that i'm a horrible person and let me just throw the filter on this or that i hate this thing and this shouldn't be happening let me just throw the filter on it that well this is a wonderful challenge this is going to be this is going to push me further in different ways than anything i've dealt with so far and then watch how that shift in the filter changes Mm. whatever it is that you generate. That's really good. I just looked at the uh, switchboard and somebody has their hand up. I just turned on a 760. Is this Ann? Yes, it is. Hi, Susan. Hey, Ann. Hey. Well, first of all, I like what you've read. Um, Dr. Tim, because that's right along with what's happening with me, but also just listening to Susan. So I'm, I, I agree with you on some things, Susan, but I also agree with Dr. Tim on how you can get out of it. Um, I'm having the challenges. My challenges right now, I have a new friend has been dropped in my life and it's something I prayed for. It's like sometimes when you pray for something, you get it and you're not ready for it, but I have to trust God that I'm ready for it. Um, it's become, you know, hand-holding and, and hugs. And um, But I've had to do exactly what you were saying, Dr. Tim, is look at it from a different perspective and say, like, I'm arguing with God. Are you sure I'm ready for this? I mean, you know, because of the past, because of the past. And then I did some of the past work. I did some mass canceling. And it's like the five years that I was out in the world and screwing around and just, you know, could have been dead or diseased. And it's like, wow. So when I did that mass canceling, it was like, oh, now I'm free. This is a new thing. This is, I'm different. And I'm different anyway. And I'm so blessed from all this work, these tools, the intensives, everything that, you know, 
gone through with Michael and just, you know, the DV, sets of DVDs and Aramaicism and, and all the stuff that you've read, Dr. Tim, it's like God was just showing me, hello, you're prepared, you're ready, and you get to keep using the tools and you get opportunities, and that's what this is, is an opportunity. And had I not changed, and instead of inviting, you know, the men in my life from before who, you know, either took advantage or I allowed to, this came from a different perspective. I know now I was, you know, resonating out love, and this person felt that. I mean, we're, you know, we're into the, where we're setting boundaries and doing things differently from what his past was, what my past was. And so it's like we're two new people, but yet there's still things to work on. But there's things to share as well. And it's like, wow, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm ready. But that's why when you read that, Dr. Tim, it was like, yes, 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 and yes. Anyway, that's what I have. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. And deserving, as we like to remind people. Yes. <clears throat> so I just encourage you, Susan. <laughs> yeah, looking at things from a different perspective. Um, I know the stuff that's going on inside of you. I laugh when Dr. Tim laughs when you make comments, and I love that, and I love that about you. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I've gone through some of the same stuff, and it's like seeing it differently, seeing it for me, seeing it through the eyes of God, seeing it through Christ's eyes. It's just so helpful, but it takes a lot of practice. Yeah. Anyway, love you, dear. Take care. All right. Blessings. Thanks, Sam. Welcome. Welcome and deserving. Thoughts on that for you, for, from you, Susan? Well, I, I, with what Ann said, I'm, I'm happy for her that she has a new friend. I would, I don't, I didn't quite picture how to to relate that but the one thing I've been asking myself is if I'm going to be the Christ and I'm sitting here being the Christ well I'm conflating Christ with Jesus and I know that isn't probably what was meant but then I say to myself well Jesus never had a house where a homeless person came to live in the basement and I start making myself excuses about how he, he never had that challenge. Well, he had a ton of awful challenges, but there are no guidelines here. And uh, there is a lot of fear about, you know, are we going to take care of an invalid indefinitely? And um, at least help me love this person. Well, so, myself, so, so let's, let's, let's start with this statement you just made. There is a lot of fear. Yeah. What does that statement mean? Like you walk outside and you see there are a lot of leaves on the trees in the summer? Mm-hmm. There is a lot of fear. It's just there. It's just floating around. No. 
I'm afraid that we're going to be caretakers for somebody. Okay, I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging you to watch your words and how it's programming your mind. Okay. You're talking about it as though it's just out there. There's just fear. And in this work, yeah. one of the benefits of understanding how these things work and having the tools is we recognize we are the ones creating any fear we experience. Yeah, I and understand if we don't, that. And if we don't like that experience, we can we can create differently. We can choose again, as Deidre Golzik and the Course in Miracles would call us to. So it isn't an accurate statement to say there is a lot of fear because now you've externalized okay. it as something that, like mm-hmm. there is a lot of snow on the ground. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rain falling today. You're treating fear and you're teaching your mind to treat the fear as though it's this external thing that you have no control over. So to say it differently, to give yourself a position to begin to empower you in this situation, you can simply change it to say, I generate a lot of fear about what might happen in the future. Yeah, good. And then you can start taking a look at it. Well, if I'm generating it and I don't like that experience of fear, all right, let me put it on a worksheet. Let me do some journaling about it. Let me do the mind shifter tool. Let me unravel what's the process in me that's generating so much fear. Let me uncover not only the part of me that's generating so much fear, but the part of me that wants to pretend it's happening to me. Rather than stepping up and taking responsibility for my creation, as Way of Mastery would say. And, you know, I I had somebody in my office earlier today and she was talking about when she thinks about this difficult thing that's happening in her life, she starts thinking about, oh my gosh, you know, I feel like a seven-year-old. How is a seven-year-old going to handle it if so-and-so dies? And then, Mm. you know, with, with, and she has that energy of that terror and that feeling inadequate, et cetera. And then in the next moment she says, and then I realize I'm not seven. And I have to start, you know, sorting that out. Mm-hmm. But I don't start sorting it out until I wake up and see. What are my words telling me? What is my phrasing? What is the belief system driving this? Which belief system is active in me right now? So that's why I'm, I'm calling you to say, you know, catch yourself when you say there is a lot of fear. Mm. Because... That just locks you into, you know, um, being a victim and experiencing this fear without any sense of agency whatsoever to make a change in it. That makes sense. Hmm. And then when I wake up and I realize, oh my, I'm really generating a lot of fear about something that hasn't happened and may not happen. Mm. Not only that, even if it does happen, what kind of a position 
of, of personal agency and control do I put myself in when I'm busy focusing on thoughts that generate fear about it rather than uh, the thoughts that could help me come up with solutions? Right, and that that fear, Guy Finley. I love that. I love the certain things from this Guy Finley. He he talked about this book Dune. Do you remember the the book series Dune, D U N E? The trilogy, and it became a, a movie, etc. He said he remembered a time when he was reading, as I don't know whether he was in his teens or his twenties, and he read this line in this book. And his mind just froze. And he didn't understand why, but he read this line and it just took him to another place. And um, the line was, fear is the mind killer. Mm. Thanks, sorry, I, I hung up by accident. So did you miss much? I can't. I I was listening to silence, figuring that you tell were me just the, thinking tell what me, to tell say. Me, tell me the part you missed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I was just saying that, that, that it reminded me of this line that Guy Finley talks about from the book Dune, mm-hmm. where the, he didn't know what it meant for a long time, but years later, in his deep psychological, spiritual work, he, he he came to understand it more, but when he read it, it just kind of his mind fr- is froze. Fear is the mind killer. Mm-hmm. So if if you make a statement like, "There's a lot of fear," yeah, right, then Paralysis. you put yourself right. in this position where you can't do anything about it, and you're pouring your mind energy into the process of creating it and you're draining your energy and you're keeping yourself stuck yeah and the amazing thing is i have a model right here in the house tim bam he's sitting there reading a book i'm saying doesn't this sort of thing bother you what oh no huh we'll see what happens (laughs) he's so different from me you have to worry about it with me Okay, what do you want to worry about? <laughs> Come on, get on the worry train. <laughs> I know. It's just a bad track I'm on. I think I'll get off of it soon. You're right. It, it is a mind killer. It's it's a um, it's a stifler of being creative. Totally. Yeah, it's and productive. Right, creative and productive mm. and joyful. It stifles all of those things. Mm. When I spend my my mind energy generating negative emotions, it's not there for gratitude, appreciation, aliveness, love, joy, etc. It's it, we're always creating. We keep talking about that in this work. I'm always creating. Am I creating worry? Am I creating upset? Am I creating frustration? Or am I creating a sensation of, you know, uh, agency and bliss and control and joy? And so I just I I I didn't want to derail you too much, but I just had to 
point out that when you say there's a lot of fear, you That's really okay. create you 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 create an experience of yourself being smothered by this energy rather mm-hmm. than create the awareness that you're the one creating the energy. Yeah. All right, closing thoughts from you. I I I just need some time, I guess. Just, you know, you talked about the person who hasn't eaten and is tired and uh I ought to just do some self-maintenance to get on track again, and then I can do the work. I feel like sort of underwater at the moment. Uh, maybe just partly <clears throat> fatigued. Well, sounds like a good plan. Being gentle with yourself right. and good self-care is just perfect. So I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour. Thank you again for your call and input, as always. Blessings. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome back Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. (laughs) It's good to be back. Um, We had an awesome time, though. Thank you for playing shows for us. You're welcome. I I did Concentrated on the kids. I didn't quite uh, make it to all the shows you wanted. There was one that didn't get played, but that was just because uh, I lost the email. So uh, I did oh. four out of the five. Okay. And and, and, and awesome. the last one that you had wanted in that list didn't get played. So we ended up the last two in the week were about the um, this work being similar to the uh, AA work or whatever. Okay. That's cool. All right. Have a wonderful show. Blessings. Thank you. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Monday, September the 18th, 2023. And their call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And I see we have a couple hands up, but Michael's not dialed in yet, so we'll give him just a minute. And I do have uh, a question once he gets on the show to ask for him to to address as well. So um, we had a a wonderful time. We uh, were a week at the beach uh, with Michael J. and Jamie and Kaylee Joe, our youngest granddaughter. And uh, we just uh, had playtime. We got to watch her take her first steps. And so it was really, it was pretty awesome. If you're on Facebook and, and part of, uh, you know, a friend or whatever where you can see my posts, you'll see all kinds of pictures of um, the week. I got up every morning and took pictures of the sunrise, and each evening I took pictures of the sunsets, and and I know some people think, you know, well, they're the same. They look the same, but the experience of them was so different every day. It was was amazing, and uh, 
I was just trying to find the email so that when he gets on that I read it. I uh, hope that everybody had a good week. And uh, Ah, there it is. Okay. So, hope everybody did have a good week. And I'm going to go ahead and turn on 360. You are on the air. Who do we have? Hello, it's Here Julia. Hi, Julia. How are you doing? <clears throat> I'm doing well. And yourself? Good. good. I'm doing good. So Michael will be with us here very shortly, but uh, um, it was an awesome session on Saturday. I did was able to get both, uh, I mean Sunday, I was able to get the one hour, though, from Saturday while we were in the car. I pulled down that video as well as the others, so hopefully you got that in your email. Yes, I did. Thank you very much. <clears throat> and, yeah. Yeah. So I'm calling in to do a worksheet with Michael um, okay. on the topic we discussed yesterday. And so... Take your part. Actually, we'll give him just another minute. We were... We actually, oh. since we had been gone all week, our neighbor watered everything, but they didn't harvest anything. And so we were going through oh. all of the gardens, and, and we got like a five-gallon bucket of tomatoes and peppers and um, got two pitiful little okra. I'm not going to even plant that again next year. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the tomatoes and the, and the peppers are, are going crazy, and I also harvested uh, lemon balm and uh, catnip. I grow catnip for my son and and daughter and loves cats. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, nice. Yeah, they say. Yeah, I bet the kitties love that. Yeah, they say that it's um, a good tea to drink too. I haven't tried that, but it's I grow it for. Oh. Yeah. So, um, let me just double check and. See where he, we just came in and had to wash up and everything, so we were running a little late, but hold on a second. Okay. Okay, he said he's going to be just another minute, but for us to go ahead and get started. So um, so for the listening audience, if you want to give just a little bit of a, a background of of what we're doing the worksheet on, like, uh, you know, just uh, you don't have to go into big detail of the story, but just enough background so that they know what we're working on. Yeah, so um, I was a Buddhist for 20 years, and Tibetan Buddhist, and I took a I took a specific empowerment, and an empowerment is a blessing ceremony that is um, gives you permission to do a, a specific practice. And so this specific practice had a vow, and um, <clears throat> there was a punishment for breaking your vow. And it was uh, they said <clears throat> if you break this vow, you will go to Vajra hell. And um, the Tibetans really cherish this life as a human being. That we, it's a, it's a great gift that we receive 
because we can purify eons of karma um, by engaging in um, benevolent uh, practices. And um, they believe that their practices are very powerful in removing lifetimes of negative karma that we've been accumulating since beginning this time. And that, right. to me, that kind of sounds like all the corrupt data, right, that we've been... Um, right. And it, it sounds like a lot of other religions, too, not just Buddhism, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so their way of doing that is by um, recitating mantras to, like, there's a there's a deity for every, you know, for lots of different purposes. And, like, there's a deity, specific deity for purifying karma um they all purify karma by engaging in the practices but they have one that's the vajra sattva and by um, making praises and practice and saying mantras to vajra sattva and there's a visualization that goes with it um you remove negative karma and um so um yeah so i i broke my i broke my vows and I haven't been practicing the um, specific practice that said that I would be going to Vajra Hell. <laughs> so, Michael well, suggested you know, I like do I a worksheet. Said, that's like, <laughs> yeah, well, we will definitely do a worksheet on that. But it's just like all the religions, you know, if, if you don't do it this specific way, then you're going to be damned. And uh, it's, yeah. you know, a way of, Keeping keeping people in line. I mean, you know, to to threaten them with uh, eternal punishment for something. I did include in the email. Um, it, have you seen the email yet? Yes, I I did. I included a section on tempo. He was a Buddhist um, that we met out in Oregon, and he was uh, recognized as the re- as the reincarnation of the enlightened uh, Buddha of wisdom and he was he is such a sweet soul I mean we were we spent uh, we had like four days that we didn't have anything scheduled and somehow or other he got a hold of us and we were within 30 miles of his center in Oregon and so we went by there and first he wanted Michael to just teach him he had seen he had been sick and been in a, a center having treatment or whatever and had watched some of Michael's tapes that they had there in the the healing center. And so he wanted to meet Michael. And so he first he had Michael teach just him, just the two of them in a room. I, I guess he wanted to make sure what Michael was teaching before he let his students, you know, hear it. And then the next day he had, or maybe it was even that same day, he had Michael teach the students that lived there on the um I don't know what to call it, a campus or a retreat or whatever. And so Michael taught them. And then the next two nights he had him go to the centers and teach the congregations. One of them spoke English. The other one just spoke Tibetan. And uh, Kempo translated as Michael taught. And for those that are listening and and weren't part of our breathwork session, they had five, what they called five positive thinkings. And Kempo had an assistant. She's been with him for years. And she wrote down and gave it to me how what they teach and what we teach is the same. 
And so these five positive thinkings will cause true happiness. And compared to ours, it's being and just being love. And the first one they say is wishing self to be free from suffering and free from causes of suffering. And ours is, you know, of course, being free from the non-being, anger, fear, hostility, which creates the suffering. The second one is compassion, wishing others to be free from suffering and free from causes of suffering. So the first one was self. second one is others. And we wish the same thing. We want others to be um, free from the non-being, from the anger, fear, and hostility. The third one is faith, wishing self to have happiness and causes of happiness, which is the Buddha nature. And ours is wishing self to be connected to love, Yeshua and God nature. The fourth one is love, wishing others to have happiness and causes of happiness, the Buddha nature. And what we teach, wishing others to be connected to love, Yeshua and God nature. And their fifth one is wisdom, the knowledge that we are love, and that's the same as us, the knowledge that we are love. And so if what they teach and what we teach is, is basically the same, and they just absorbed it. I mean, it was, it was awesome to be with them. But, uh, yeah, it's like every, it doesn't matter what religion, what belief system. I think every single one has that belief that, you know, if you break your rules, if you go in another direction, then, you know, you're going to be damned. And so, yes, doing a worksheet on that. So Michael has joined us. And, Michael, this was from the conversation on Saturday, and you had suggested that Julia call in and do a worksheet on the uh, being sent to the what the Basha hell for breaking Basha. Yeah. Let's go for it. And you know, hi Michael. Um, hey, you know, I also I also had Lama Choga stay with us for like a week um, when we lived on Orcas Island, and he did a fire puja at this lake. And while he was doing his fire puja. There was somebody like 20 feet away from us um, baptizing somebody in the the lake. So we thought that was How pretty. How cool is that? Um, yeah. So and I and I had heard you say that you had taught this um, method to a Tibetan Lama before, and I was I always wondered. I wonder which Lama that was. And so then when I saw your email that it was Lama Choga, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I know exactly who he's talking about. So that's really he cool. He is the sweetest guy. He was just amazing. I mean, talk about a sweet energy. So joining you and tapping into that sweetness, and, you know, if you you listen to Yeshua, there's a point, and my quote isn't exact, but basically what he says is, go ahead and deny me. I mean, he's one of the few. Go ahead and deny me. I don't care. (laughs) But the one I'm trying to connect you with, if you deny that one, you're in trouble. And I think all of the religions are heading for the same thing, but men in their own inadequacies and their own weakness have to have a hero that's the superhero and better than everybody else's. And, you know, my God can kill your God, beat up your God. (laughs) My dad can beat up your God. They're not over childhood competition games yet, so that uh, tends to be something that goes on and on and on. But when you get back to the Aramaic Yeshua, you're really working with what's at the core of human life. And I think that each of the religious leaders 
brought that forward and brought it forward to large numbers of people and unfortunately small numbers of hostile fearful people who weren't willing to do their work said as they said to Yeshua you know too hard a saying when he tells them what they need to do and they I mean literally in that particular instance half of his disciples leave and never come back and I suspect I don't have any historical evidence but I suspect that half that left are the ones who made up the Jesus saves and thought Jesus will do it for you there's nothing you need to do and it's totally and completely a case of either he said here's a work to be done too hard a saying we're out of here so and I mean in that in that particular instance if you're familiar with that whole passage the the energy so intense with this half of his disciples leaving that uh, that Yeshua even turns to Peter and says Peter are, are you leaving too like you know are you finished so it's uh, when you're asking people to really delve in and deal with the most horrific generational patterns that have happened within our bloodlines you're asking people to take a huge leap of faith that that can actually be done and then okay so here are the tools now you start chipping away at it so we're here for support yes. and which um, aspect of I'm the conversation are you all the way <laughs> okay uh, so so which aspect of the conversation we had in the still point mind shifters and still point breathing club workshop uh were you wanting to work in the threat of being sent to hell probably that's a good place to start yeah i mean i really kind of don't believe that too because i don't feel like a divine being would condemn me to hell I just that just doesn't um, resonate with me, and I think of course it's impossible. Like, why are you? It's you silly. Know? Yeah, yeah. And so, what I think, also, what I think, um, that I feel like I kind of uh, might have. It's about faith in something, right? And so, I feel like I, I abandoned my faith in this deity and 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 doing this practice that it would um help me evolve and clear up my negative karma and um ultimately lead me to becoming enlightened and you know they their <clears throat> aspiration is to become enlightened for the sake of all sentient beings so um yeah i i think that it kind of messed with my faith and yeah. you say you messed with your faith I think it did it you know I think oh, I broke something my, outside I of broke you did that it to you. faith no I you, broke my there you go you broke the faith there's remember our definition yeah. of of denial whenever I think or speak is so something outside of me oh it broke my faith no it didn't but it provided an opportunity for you to make a choice and you chose to give up your connectedness and your faith in that regard would be my offering yes and when I bring it I back agree. to yes I did it then I have the power to undo it mm -hmm. so yes. then who would be the focal point of that worksheet who would be the individual that 
had that conversation with you and made that threat. I did. Uh, well, um, uh, there were multiple. I heard it from multiple people, but, it, you know, one person was the person who bestowed the empowerment um, that gave me the vow, and that would be um, that particular person. I took it from, like, two different people, and but the first person, his name was Genla, G-E-N-L-A, Genla. Right. So should we make him the subject of the worksheet? You want to put him in number one C? Yeah. So I've got um, one A is me, and then the emotions is the B. And so my emotions maybe would be guilt. Okay. Um, Good one. And what's the thought that you have to think to experience the emotion of guilt? That I will be, um, that I'll be sent to hell. (laughs) Okay. So, so So Genla said, I, Genla said I would be sent to hell. Okay. So then that would be the situation. Which I guess that might be even worse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Get to select which hell you want to go to. Well, Vajra, the word means diamond, and it means indestructible, and it means uh, like a thunder, a spiritual thunderbolt. So I don't. Those seem like good words, but um, yeah, who knows what that Vajra hell is like? I hope I never experience it. But <laughs> yeah. Well, my offering would be. The only way that you could possibly experience it would be be to engage in the thought disorders that create that condition. That's the only way you could experience it. Yeah, uh, which means that. that you know what what it is for one person would be different for another person. One person might say, "Oh, I went to that hell," and the other says, "I went to that hell." We'll tell you about it, and their realities would be totally different because they're internally generated realities. And so what you want to do is ferret out the exact thought disorders and the goal involved that keeps you using those thought disorders to create this perception, this construct in your mind of guilt. And when you get to the specific goal that causes your mind to produce that and then cancel that goal, then what happens is that structure in your mind of guilt collapses. I suspect there's probably an element of fear in it as well, perhaps, and they might actually be two mm-hmm. separate worksheets. Yeah. And then <clears throat> when you find the specific goal that's driving that perception and are able to collapse it, then you're able to touch into the structure that's underneath that construct. And when you bring that to the active presence of love, literally to God, (laughs) then it's seen through the actual creator's eyes, through the actual presence of love, it dissolves, that's all. Because there is no substance other than, you know, my take would be the systems that have... um, What's the best wording? 
intricate, trauma-based forms of punishment that they have made up and then turn them into a deity, make them something that they're not, when you unwind the energies behind that, then that's gone from your field. You're done with it. That's all. So if you were to, so you fill in number one C, number his name, and then the second part, what he told you. Yes. You've got the thought disorder behind the guilt. What specifically is the thought that's involved in producing that? Um. I'm not really sure. I mean, I feel I feel bad uh, that uh, I kind of feel like I well, you know, another thing that was was said that I would be wasting my human life, and that this this precious human life is an an, an amazing opportunity to transcend and all my negative karma by um, relying on the deity. But that the deity would remove my negative karma, and um, I really, I just kind of felt like <clears throat> I don't. I feel like that's uh, giving my power away, and that's another reason why I kind of stepped away from it. Was I wanted to find my own power without relying on a deity. Right. Do you know how we give our power away? What's the mechanism behind that? My offering is um, that the mechanism... Through my BS? <laughs> no, through denial. Through denial. Denial? I give my power away. When I deny ownership of this, I have just handed my power to something or someone outside of me. And when my mental construct, which is the way all these stories come together, whether it's Catholicism or Protestantism or Buddhism or, you know, whatever, Jainism, anything that has a punishment aspect, is when I enter into denial, I said, I don't want to be responsible for this. And there's always going to be somebody who's going to come volunteer to take your power and say, oh, I'll, I'll take responsibility. And then a story is made up that something outside of and, and I believe a story that something outside of me has to now undo what's going on inside of me. And with this work, and what my take is with the work of Yeshua was to hand that power back to the individual and show them how to remove every mechanism within them of denial and arrive back at that true precious human life. And the precious human life my offering is, isn't the fact that you've got a body and you get to live what we call a human life. The precious human life is recapturing your essence as active present love, as created, and then expressing your life as that, through that. 
And if fear or hostility in any form gets in the way, now your mind is using corrupt data, and that corrupt data needs to be cleaned up. And that's what's been called karma. It's also been called sin. As you sow, you reap. And as you allow yourself to, rather than, what happens when we do the denial game, so this isn't my fault, it's somebody else's fault, then what occurs is I have to hide what it is that I'm in denial about. And once I've hidden it, the very act of hiding it from myself means I put energy into it. I intensified it. I had to focus on it and push it down. Imagine I've got a three-foot diameter spring. It's on the ground and it stands about three feet high. Can that three-foot diameter spring do anything? Nothing. It's just sitting there on the ground. But what happens if I push down on it? Well, when I push down it, I put some kinetic energy into it, and that becomes stored as potential energy. And if I lock it when I get to the, you know, the thrust, of, the highest thrust of my push, I lock it, then that potential energy is stored in the spring. I push it down again, another level, and I lock it, and I push it. And, I, and so all of that kinetic energy, all of that force that I'm putting into that spring is stored in that spring. And when I let the lock off, hmm, you know, it's going to fly. Well, how that relates to us living in denial is when I go, you know, that, that's, that caused my this, that caused my pain. Oh, I'm only upset because of when I'm in denial, then I'm, I'm pushing down the spring, I'm dissociating from whatever it is. And now, as opposed to just sitting there as kinetic energy, it's literally because we're doing this with, with mind energy, mind energy, all energy by definition is motion. And so if I push down mind energy, I literally set up an energy field that radiates from me to all the world. And somebody who's going to be in tune with that energy is going to be attracted to me. Resonance creates motion toward in the human realm. So when they show up and then they do the behavior that resonates what I've dissociated from, what I do is I keep what I've dissociated from in hiding so I don't experience it directly, but what I then do is I put that very energy that they've resonated in me into my brain's image of them. So I create a construct out of what I've dissociated from of them with my energy attached. Now I know it's their problem because my mind is showing me that it's their problem. That's the false perception that needs to be collapsed. And when it's collapsed, what happens is rather than being in indirect relationship with the cause of my pain, like what's indirect relationship with the cause of my pain? You make me so mad. Well, I now believe that this person out here is the cause of my mad. I'm still experiencing the mad. I'm still experiencing the upset, the disturbance, the pain of it. But I'm using that very energy to build my brain into them so I can keep the pretense up that it's outside of me. And what I want to do and what first century Aramaic forgiveness does is it collapses that whole construct that keeps me in indirect relationship with my pain and I come back into 
direct relationship with my faith. For some people, that's like, oh, that's too much. I couldn't do that. So, well, okay, then we have a deity out here that will handle it for you. So we'll have somebody that will fix it. The cause is outside of you, and therefore the fixing is outside of you. The real truth is, when I come back into direct relationship with my pain, rather than using it to build my brain's image of someone else that I blame, and I hold active present love in my physiology, the active present love transmutes the pain, rids me of my karma, rids me of what I've sown in my field. The law of sowing and reaping or the law of karma is absolute. You put it in there, you're going to get to live it out. Unless you go to grace. What is grace? Well, that's another thing that's been kind of kept mysterious. Grace. Oh, yeah, I need grace. And people talk about it like it's some sort of thing I'm knighted with from something outside of me or whatever. Grace, it, well, we are. You know, it's a, it's a gift. We are given the ability to change our minds anytime we want. That's living in grace, but I have to come into direct relationship with what it is that I'm creating my trauma with to change my mind and have the grace, the energy that transmutes and rids me of that trauma rather than waiting for a deity to do it or depending on deity to do it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an, when you understand how the mind works, it's a system that works. I mean, if I, if I can believe deeply enough, have faith in that deity, then, wow, if I get the deity, then the deity will fix it for me. You know, there's a, a really interesting passage in the scriptures with Yeshua, and there's this woman who probably kind of has this belief that Yeshua is a deity in, in, in the context of our conversation. And, and what she says to herself is, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Here's a woman who said this 12-year issue of blood. She said a period that hasn't stopped in 12 years. Pretty traumatic. And she says to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Now, it doesn't mean she wanted to touch a piece of cloth he was wearing. What, what she was saying was, if I could get into an energy field, in this case Yeshua, and be vitalized, boosted by it, supported by it, then I would be able to throw off this dis-ease energy. And you know, in that particular passage, there's the, if you read it, it talks about how there was a throng there. I don't know how many were in a throng, whether it's 20 or 50 or 500, or maybe the 5,000, I don't know. But she's the only one who got a healing. And when they wanted to put it on Yeshua, so he's like, no, it was her faith. It was her action. Yes, she needed some support, and I gave it to her. But it was her work that made her whole, that relieved her of that dis-ease energy. And it always comes back to each individual has to be willing to do their own work. Yes, we can create belief systems that something else outside will help us, and that belief will help us, but it will help us not because that something outside of us is helping us. It will help us because we have a belief that something outside of us will help us. Does that make sense? Yeah, <clears throat> totally. So then where we want to go now is for you to embrace all of the whatever it was, fear, guilt, and, and again, you might do separate worksheets on 
each aspect that you touch into, we know there's at least fear and guilt here, that you'll do separate worksheets on each of those to allow you to tap into that energy and bring it forward to full awareness in the presence of active love so it can be transmuted or dissipated. So if you were to look at, well, we, we didn't do the punishment step. Was there a punishment thought toward the person who kind of laid this curse on you? Do I have a punishment thought towards him? Yes. Like, do I want to punish him? <clears throat> no, yes. absolutely not. No. I mean, that's okay. how he grew up. He grew up in Tibet. He grew up with those, that's his belief system. And so I right. I don't um, fault him at all. That's just their belief. And I would okay. never <clears throat> want to punish Genla. No. Cool. Okay. How about self? Yeah. What's the punishment towards self? Um, For having given up that Just vow. maybe, like, um, maybe disappointment in myself that um, that I couldn't keep the commitment. Or, I, you know, I don't know if I really have a punishment for myself because I changed. Right. So, and I don't really condemn myself for that. I mean, I I made a conscious choice to to stop doing this okay. practice because I just so I, I lost like faith. You know, I yep. lost. I did. I just felt like I'm not. This isn't really. Um. I and and I felt contrived when I did do the practice. Like there were pieces missing. Like I'm just not getting it. You know, how how is it that like me by me focusing on this specific deity and saying all these really um, uh, esoteric uh, like visualizations of these you know creating a celestial palace with all these details that I can't really even wrap my brain around. You know, right. doing. How's what 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 am I doing? Well, <laughs> you know, it's, a, I, it's an elaborate it's an elaborate ritual with which to have your belief captured. You know, when they when they yeah. had when that healing happened with this woman who had this twelve year issue of blood, Yeshua's words were her faith made her whole. So if I can create a ritual that I can put enough faith in that this will do it, then that, whatever the that is, will do it. Yeah. And the uh, the the words that you used, and I'm not I'm not sure whether it was the word punishment. Um, when we maybe first started, you know, uh, I would be sent uh, guilt. Well, what I'll do, because I'm, I'm, you know, I, I apologize. I kind of got into the next thought, and I lost the word. But if you would go back to the, the recording, my thoughts. Complete. Yeah, yeah, I think we're the, at like, the, what is the thoughts that cause my emotional upset? I haven't written okay, well, anything down there. Okay, I, I was um, still think. I'm thinking in terms of the punishment of self. It was in regard yeah, to punishment of self. Yeah, so, I don't want to, I don't, 
Um, I don't. Yeah. See, like maybe I, I don't just want to need I don't, I don't want um, to. I don't. I don't want to punish myself, and I don't want to punish Gemma. So I don't have punishment right. thoughts. But what I think, what I think okay. is like, there's a part of me that might have some fear of that. Like maybe this is true, and maybe I am going to go to the hell realm because I stopped doing this, you know. And right. but then again, so then your, my rational so other mind says, no, that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. so start another word. Well, remember that. We can have multiple thoughts around any given issue, and at one moment or another, different energies are moving. So what I would do, like when I do worksheets, I've always got about a dozen blank sheets, and I find that I uncover four or five each time I do a single worksheet. So I do a worksheet on that specific one. Maybe I am going to go to hell. That's different than the worksheet we're doing on Gimlaw, but maybe I am. So I'd just take a blank worksheet and just put that in as a thought and a reminder that that's another worksheet to do. Okay. <clears throat> but yeah. what, I, what I'm inviting and, and you to do when, when, we, when we complete, what I'm, what I'm going to suggest you do is go back and re-listen to the, to the, uh, the show. And after we started talking about punishment of self, you use the language, I don't have, and I apologize, it might have been punishment, it was another, a different word, but if you will, we'll go back and listen and get that word. That's what I put in that blank, and I'd be working on that. Because, okay. you know, Shakespeare gives us a really good clue, observe our language, and, and what he says is, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. And you did... In, in when I say, you know, if I say don't think about the color of your car, what fires in brain cells? The color of your car. If I say, well, you know, I didn't have any punishment. I really didn't even think about kicking myself in the butt. So those, the only reason I'd use that phrase as an example, I didn't think of, I wouldn't even think of kicking myself in the butt, is because somewhere in my mind, kicking myself in the butt are in brain cells. That's what's firing. So there was a word that you used, and then we got on to another thought, and I lost it. But if you go back and give it a listen, that will be good to fill in that blank in number five or number one uh, E around punishment of self and work on clearing that one up. Okay. okay. And you, you say you haven't filled in anything on the thought that causes the guilt? Yeah, on D. One D. Okay. So what would be the thought that, you know, when you think it, and when guilt is moving, when you, you know, sort of let your mind go to that whole circumstance and guilt is moving, what's the thought that's causing guilt to move in you? I think that I'm going to Vajra Hell. Um, I, I don't think that, that's that's more in the, the circumstance, the the number one C, yeah. for me it would be more like I haven't kept my word, or I didn't okay. keep my vow, yeah. or I broke my and I didn't and, keep and, my vow. and the specific I broke my vow, I didn't keep it, I was unfaithful, you know, whatever the variation on the theme is, that will be the the thought that would go in that uh, blank in D. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. I broke my vows. Okay. And stopped doing 
the, the practice. And then how about a mind shifter to work around that one? Okay. She would write this on a separate piece of paper. Okay. Got it. It's safe and healing for me to change my mind, comma, mm-hmm. even a vow, comma, when I reach a new level of awareness. So I do that as a mind shifter and ferret out any other thought disorders that are keyed into, you know, the whole idea of I didn't keep my word, I wasn't faithful, I wasn't true, I was not, you know, whatever the variations on the theme that would lead to that stronger reaction you'd want to go in and clean up. So if you do that as a mind shifter and let yourself drop into whatever those thoughts are, and then you'll probably uncover some other worksheets that will be valuable to do. Yeah. And you may even uncover circumstances or thought disorders that are generational. You know, the, you know who, who knows What's at the root? You know, this is one of the reasons why I'll, you know, the the number one pseudo-solution of the non-being mind, when you get to that part of the codependence intensive, when we get into that, I don't know if you've gotten to that in the video yet, but the number one is, if I could just figure this out. And the truth is, I can't figure it out because who knows? Maybe five generations ago, you know, great, 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 grandfather cheated on mom and just afterward you know was just in such distraught energy that who knows what he did you know I'm just using that as an example but oftentimes especially the things that are deeply disturbing emotional responses come from generational patterns that have played out and impacted all of the generations since that particular event occurred. And it might be something two generations ago, 20 generations ago. It might be something that happened when you were in utero, utero that mom did and that you physiologically experienced the chemistry of that as being a part of her body, you know. That's why that, that's to me, is always the number one pseudo solution. No, you can't figure it out, but I can forgive it. Whatever it is, doesn't matter how long ago it was, doesn't matter how deep it is, doesn't matter how many generations, doesn't matter how many millions lies between them and me and the bloodline have been impacted by that. I can apply forgiveness right now. I can access that underlying energy and I can throw it off of my structure and be freed of it. Yeah. So I'd do that mind shifter to, to see if there are any other pieces in there that be, you know, it's kind of like that are keyed into this spider web that you're unfolding here. Yeah. Lovely. Cool. So then number two, 
two A. I feel choose complete with number one. Um, well, I didn't put anything in one E. I want to punish. The punishment. Okay. Well, you've you've offered that you're you're free of punishment in car in terms of. Um, I don't remember his name. Genma. Genma. Yeah, I wouldn't punish Genma. And, yeah. So maybe. And and maybe maybe put a note that you're going to go back and listen to and see what your speech was around that when we were talking about yeah. punishment of self. See what that word was. Yeah. Okay. And the worksheet that you're working on was designed when I still was lost in the brainwash of the culture that we can love that that's a verb it's something we can do and so that you know i i'm gonna i choose to love truth and that actually has been corrected the latest worksheet says i choose to honor truth because love you know i've gotten really clear that it's important for us to reserve that word for one thing and one thing only and that is what it truly describes and that is who we are as human beings i can't do love i can only be love and so that okay. would we'd shift that language into honoring truth. Yeah. Okay. And willingly face and process out all dis-ease, reducing energies for from all my relations, generations. I willingly go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. I release and surrender myself, my emotions, my story, my thoughts, and my punishment to love. And my desire, um, and my desire, the constructive result, the exact goal that drives my pain perception, my trigger, um, is to freedom. What is it that? So I think freedom would be one of the keys to the forgiveness process is really specifically identifying what the goal is that's driving this construct in my mind. And freedom, yes, fits in the kind of the general category, but I think it's much more specific than that. And you want to be more specific because the only way that a construct of the mind collapses is when you find the goal that's driving it and remove it. So for me, it would probably be something more like I want Kenwa to support my new choices or I want to be strong enough to make my own choices but specifically the goal that you would hold for him as you look at this whole circumstance what would it be that you'd want from him specifically seeing as how he's number one see the object of attention in the worksheet what would have been the goal in this circumstance where you were ready to be alleviated of the vow uh, to, to to release me from the the my destiny to go to Vajra Hell for breaking my vow. 
Okay. So then it sounds like the the piece going in there with the Dodger Hell doesn't sound like it really fits, but for him to release you of your vow. Releasing of my vow, yes. Would seem like it'd be more keyed in. And, and again, I would suggest you start another worksheet on yourself. So maybe if you've got a blank worksheet there, just mark in number one C, self. And the situation is, I'm stuck in a cycle of punishment if I change my mind. And the goal would be to be able to choose to give up a vow if you choose to do so. Yes, I was at one level when I made that vow, and now I'm at another level, and I choose to give it up. And that's okay, as opposed to being stuck in an old fear-based mind complex that maybe reflected a power person dynamic. You know, it might be a power person who, you know, you said you were going to do this and then railed on you because you didn't, and, you know, punishment went on, or whatever the variation on the theme is. And so I do a worksheet on self and you being empowered to be able to give up a vow if you choose to when you reach a new level of awareness. Yeah. What does that do to your breath? Um, Well, I held it for a second, but (laughs) then I released it. Okay. So then just repeat that thought to yourself and just kind of watch what happens with your breath as you do. And what happens in your physiology, usually when the breath is held, even if it's just for a second or an instant, if you really pay attention, you'll notice where it's shutting down the energy and tissue. You know, it might be the throat, it might be the neck, it might be the scalp, it might be the lungs, it might be the torso, it might be the buttocks, it might be the feet. But just when you think that thought and you notice your breath stops, where does the tightness occur? Where does the shutdown happen? Yeah, And that's where you want to focus your breath. Okay, good, good. So then... As you go back over that thought, allow yourself to speak those words again and notice that you can take breath into that area of your chest and let it open. Whatever is stored there in carbon-based memory, it's safe to undo it, whether it's just a, a surface kind of thing or maybe it's an old, deep dynamic that happened with a power person. Let's just breathe into it and see what moves. And what happens? Nothing's really coming up. Um, I didn't really have punishing parents at all. Mm -hmm. And so... 
I'd invite you to maybe do a worksheet around that thought because the language is there about punishment with parents. You know, I laid that out as a possibility. Maybe it was parents. Maybe it was something that happened generations ago. Maybe it was something that happened in childhood. But the fact that your language goes to, I didn't have punishing parents, says that somewhere in brain cells, there's the idea of punishing parents going on. Now, again, that may be generational. Or it may be something that happened with parents that you've denied, that you've hidden from yourself and, you know, was too much to handle. I don't know. But the fact that the language is there, you know, again, Shakespeare, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. When I bring words forward and I bring them forward with a, it wasn't this way, this way is what's firing in brain cells. And I want to look at, on a deeper level, whatever that is. You know, I, I was using an example of, so let's imagine that you know, I'm going to Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to fly out to Fort Lauderdale tomorrow, and I'm going to meet you there. You're going to Fort Lauderdale, too. And I call you, you know, before the flight leaves and say, yep, well, you know, see you in Fort Lauderdale, and, and by the way, I'm not going to Miami. Why would I say to you that I'm not going to Miami? Or why would I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm not going to China, I'm not going to Europe, I'm not going to, you know, uh, Canada. I'd say I'm not going to Miami because there's something in my brain cell structure firing about Miami. And so when I say there was no punishment from my parents, I didn't have punishing parents, there's something about punishing parents that uh, my offering would be that language tells you there's something in the unconscious that needs to be resolved. And again, it may be just something generational. Or it may be something, you know, have you ever, as a parent, punished? Breathing? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I did, uh, like when I was younger and I had, my parents weren't religious and they didn't ever, you know, take us to church or anything. It was neighbors that would see that we weren't going to church. And so they'd be like, oh, can we take your kids to Sunday school? And, um, so I, that's how I was exposed to Janity. And then I had stepsisters later in life that were, Baptist, and they were like, "Yeah, you really need to be a, you, you need to be a Christian and come to church with us." And um, and then I and then I got baptized, and then they were like, "You know, you can't swear, you can't do this, you can't do that," and and they were just dumping lots of guilt on me, and I just rejected it. I said, "Yeah, I'm done. I'm done with this. I don't want to do this." And so. Okay. So notice how that whole notice how that whole conversation opens up around the the talking about dealing with the line that came from your speech of I didn't have punishing parents. And just be aware of how that connects. And aware that there's probably some work to be done in that arena. 
how do you how do you figure it out? How do you how does that? You don't. Just... You, you can't in a billion years. You couldn't figure it out. It just if you had access off, to every be... piece of data, well, here's here's the power of forgiveness. Whatever it is, you know. I'm never going to figure it out. Like if I knew everything about my life, if I could have it all there right in front of me and I knew everything about both my parents' lives, I still couldn't figure it out because there's their parents' lives and their parents' lives and their parents' lives and their parents' lives and theirs and theirs and theirs. And by the time you get out just 30 generations, you're talking about 1.6 billion lives in your genes. Who can figure that out? Who can ever, ever fathom that? But, the moment that it arises, the moment it comes to the surface, you've got a tool called forgiveness, and you can forgive it. And when you apply forgiveness to it, you dissipate the energy of it. Remember, forgiveness is the removal or the transmutation of the energies based in anything connected to any form of hostility or fear. So as opposed to trying to figure it out, which is, you know, if you look at the whole world, you know, if, if you've got an audience, you know, if I'm doing a workshop and I've got an audience of 100 people and I've got everybody to tell me their age and I added all their ages up and then I subtracted just five years for each of them, I'd have the number of years that everybody in that audience has been trying to figure it out and it can't be done. But the whole world is trying to figure it out. But what I can do at the moment where I realize there's something, there's a challenge behind, is I can take this tool of forgiveness, the reality management worksheet, and I can process through it, through forgiveness, as opposed to sitting here trying to figure it out. You know, at what, at what point do I know enough facts to know the truth of what's happened? You know, I'm walking down the street and I, I see... Uh, a man on the other side of the street slapping this woman in the face. And I run over and punch him out to save her. And he's like, well, wait a minute, why are you hitting me? She was having a seizure. I was just trying to get her out of her seizure. Oh, gee, I'm sorry, sir, excuse me for hitting you. I'll help you get her out of her seizure. And then after she gets out of her seizure, she says, yeah, I had a seizure because he was trying to rape me. Now I'm back to he's the bad guy. At what point do I know enough facts? There's no way to figure it out. But at any point, I can apply forgiveness, and the energy behind it will be processed. Does that make sense? Yes. That's the beauty of this tool. Whatever it is, if I'm able to breathe into it, and I can apply forgiveness, whatever is hiding... Whatever's hidden is able to come forward. You know, in the scriptures they talk about, you know, whatever we hold, well, the way it says it, there's nothing will remain hidden. Everything will be made known in the light of day. Well, everything that would be made known in the light of day, this karma that's going to play out, can be forgiven in in the presence of active love. And we can be alleviated of that energetic pattern. It doesn't matter if it goes back 10,000 generations. If I look at the goal at this moment that's driving my mind to use that data, 
I can cancel that goal and I'll have access to that data that goes back 10,000 generations. It will come up in the presence of love and be dissolved and I'll be free of it. No need to figure one thing out. And I just had the announcement here that we're complete because we've got, well, about 20 seconds ago, it said we've got 10 seconds. So we're going to have to pick this up tomorrow if that works for you and okay. uh, carry on. And maybe between now and then you'll have a chance to listen to today's show and see what that word was that related to self-punishment. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your willingness to open this conversation up. I think it's allowed us to really touch into some of the finer points of the whole process, and I appreciate your participation. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your presence. Thank you so much. All right. Blessings. Blessings.